and welcome to On the Brighter Side. I'm your host, Monica Tanner, and I'm super excited about the episode I have planned for you today. We have Jennifer Lair, a licensed marriage and family therapist, the founder of WeConcile, an online program for committed couples seeking help, as well as an educator on the process of living self-acceptance and stepping into your magic life. Hi, Jennifer. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am so excited. Obviously, this is a subject I love to talk about, relationships and intimacy. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? So I'm in my second marriage. I was becoming a therapist, became a therapist, went through that whole process in my first marriage. Uh, I would say I basically outgrew my first husband because I learned so much and he wasn't on the same, didn't have this, he wasn't interested in that kind of learning and connecting in a really deep way. So my second marriage is a great marriage. We've got two little dogs, our furry children. Mike has three children and they have children, so we have grandchildren. And yeah, we have a good family. Awesome. So I would love to hear the story about how you got started doing what you're doing as a therapist and what your favorite part about counseling with couples is. Okay. So I was working as a therapist. I was seeing a lot of couples who were really didn't have the resources they needed. An hour a week of, ther- of therapy is really not acceptable. <laughs> In my, it's just not enough for most people. And they didn't have the resources to do go longer, or even some of them couldn't do every week. So I realized that they needed more support. And I was learning all kinds of amazing things. I thought, well, they can learn the same things I'm learning. So I started, I got the light bulb of, I could create a system to teach couples some of the same stuff I'm learning and more. And then what I love uh, working with, when I work with couples, and I'm not working with them right now because We Can Sell has taken up so much of my time and energy, but just helping a couple unravel their their wounds, their fears, their needs, and get deeper into their story and begin to find ways to have empathy and connect with each other instead of getting triggered. I always love the process of sort of unraveling all that, what I would say. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. So how important do you think it is to understand your partner's deepest feelings, needs, triggers, and fears? So I think it's essential. For one thing, you don't want to be in a one-person relationship. You want to be in a two-person relationship. To do that, you actually have to know who the other person is. And then you have to learn how to support each other around the fears, around the parts that are difficult. And you have to develop empathy for each other. And if you don't know who your partner is, it's going to be, or why they're getting upset. You know, why did that person get upset when I did this? So instead of getting defensive, you understand what's going on and you can actually have empathy for what they're not just your struggle, but their struggle too. Yeah, that's amazing. So now that we know that it's important, what are your best tips and tricks for opening up communication about vulnerable subjects, especially if our spouse isn't a big sharer? Right. So I would first say it's not tips and tricks. It's a process that's generally a bit lengthy because you're, there's a lot to do there, but you know, the, the spouse who doesn't open up. So there's a couple of different terms. Some people call it the turtle and the hurricane in emotionally focused therapy. It's the, the withdrawer and the pursuer. And so you're trying to help the withdrawer move deeper into their feelings, their stories, open them up because they tend to be closed And the pursuer, you want to calm down, reassure, make her often, not always, make that person less scary for the withdrawer so that he actually has the space to be 
and I'm using he, she, just because it's not always like that, but quite frequently it is. The space to find himself, and yeah, that's sort of the main mode there. You also have to have the cycle, which is the fight that repeats itself, you know, like I, you, you're late, I cry, you slam the door, that kind of thing. That has to die down, or nobody's going to feel safe enough to really get vulnerable. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So you mentioned Sue Johnson's work, Emotionally Focused Therapy. So yeah, I did a lot of, a lot of training. In the yeah, yeah, with that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of her work as well. Yeah. So in your professional opinion, is it possible for a relationship to be easy? My current relationship is easy. <laughs> my first one wasn't. So my current marriage is easy. It wasn't easy initially. I mean, it was in the, when you're in the in love stage, but once you're in the real, out of the that initial love chemical stage, we had stuff that came up that we really had to do work around, but that is way in the rear view mirror at this point. And it's gotten easy. Yeah. So yes, it is possible. <laughs> okay. Well now the million dollar question, how do we make our relationships easy? So, well, we did, you know, while I was writing, we can sell my husband, Mike was helping you know, reading it and helping me edit it and learning from it. And we both basically did it in the process of creating it, which was, I mean, writing it alone was four years. It was a massive process. And then we did some therapy early on. I'd say the first year we were doing therapy together and we just started learning how, you know, and I'm a really good communicator and I'm really psychologically savvy. So I'm able to say, Hey, you know, let's talk about what just happened. And this is what, what, it looks like this is, um, you know, I'm trying to understand what got you so upset. This is, and we begin to understand each other. Like, so my husband, you know, has a history with women who get crazy. So if I got too emotional, big trigger for him, he didn't trust me. I have a history, a trauma history with people who didn't take care of important needs I had. And so if he did something that was sort of cavalier or endangered a pet, I, in my opinion, I would be, you know, lit, just beside myself. So we had to work out the worlds we both came from, the worlds we lived in, learn to see each other and breathe instead of react and go, you know, I'm not that crazy person. Yeah, I'm upset, but I'm not crazy. And he could say, yeah, I didn't mean to do, I didn't realize that you would be so scared by that. And I don't, you know, I don't see it that way, but I can get that you do. And so I will do it differently. So that kind of communication is really helpful. Yeah important in any relationship. Right. So I, I recently asked a question on my Facebook page asking what people would be willing to sacrifice today to have the marriage they've always dreamed of. And it was really interesting to read the wide spectrum of responses. But some people felt like if you married the right person, there shouldn't be any need for sacrifice. What are your thoughts about that sentiment? Well, it's certainly helpful to marry the right person. However, there are always two different people. And so navigating through those differences means there's going to be adjustments, which you may or may not see as a sacrifice. That's, you know, entirely personal, but there's going to be adjustments. So I would say, yeah, you want to marry someone you're really compatible with, but is it necessarily a sacrifice? An adjustment is not necessarily a sacrifice. It depends what you're talking about. And there are areas that are more not like you've go to Gottman, the, they have the, he has a category of the non-negotiable versus the negotiable. And you sometimes have to learn to live with like, 
My husband is much more, likes people better than I do. I'm more of an introvert. So I have to adjust to his level of needing to, you know, let's go do something with a person. I wouldn't look at that as a sacrifice. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I think sometimes it can just be semantics, right? But I teach in my programs that the key to succeeding in marriage is not to find the right person, but to learn to love the person you have found. Right. And I think that is really important because there is no perfect marriage. There is no perfect person right. that we can learn to love the person that we're with, but it's a daily action. And it's a daily decision. Right. Love and marriage are action words. And it's a matter of choosing every single day what will be important to you. So, right. so yeah, I love to think about that concept. So how do you think we can create the relationship of our dreams? Well, I think that you have to be willing to roll back the covers and look at all the hard stuff and talk about it. And you have to be willing to get vulnerable. And if you can't get vulnerable, you have to figure out why you can't get vulnerable. If you can't get over something, you have to figure out why you can't get over something. And you have to choose to make the relationship really important and get out of defensive behavior. Yeah. Okay. How about if you want to create the relationship of your dreams and your partner isn't really that interested in participating in that? What's your advice there. Yeah. So if your partner isn't willing to participate, you're probably not going to have the relationship of your dreams. You might have a decent relationship, but it will require accepting whether it's more distance, whatever it is, it will require accepting because most people want a highly participant partner. Most people want a partner who really participates and is engaged and is interested in them. And if you don't have that, you have to find a way to accept what you do have. Right. And it's all in the story we tell ourselves. I teach that you are 100% in control of the experience you're having in any given situation. Right. In your professional opinion, what are the most important relationship skills needed to build a solid, connected, and loving partnership? Okay. So there's a number of skills. They include developed curiosity, resilience, the development of the ability to be vulnerable, empathy. You have to be accessible, responsive, and and, and engaged. Yeah, you've got to, a lot of it's courage. You have to have emotional courage. If you don't have emotional courage, you're not going to do what you need to do to get through the hard stuff. Yeah. Totally. So what if we're married to like maybe a narcissist who don't possess those skills or? Yeah, luckily I've never been married to a narcissist. So if you're married to a narcissist, there will certainly have to be a great deal of adjustment on your part because the narcissist is not going to be able to look at themselves. There's really the character structure such that the defenses and the places they can't go. They, they're, they're defended against going anyplace really truly vulnerable or truly looking at themselves. So you're going to have to be willing to just make a lot of, to see the person as having, I don't like to use the word damage, but I think I would use that word. And knowing that their best is not going to be the same as yours and really being able to just have empathy for where they're stuck and in a sense, be the bigger person. Yeah. So the question I get a lot from some of my coaching clients is, so I'm just wondering what your take on this is. What if your partner is just kind of closed off? So they're not necessarily narcissistic narcissist or anything like that, but maybe they have a little bit of depression or anxiety. Maybe they've had a little bit of relational trauma and they just, they're just kind of hard to connect to. Is there anything that we can do to kind of help them open up, help them be more, you know, connecting or close? Well, what popped into my mind 
initially is dealing with someone with Asperger's say. Yeah. And, and I actually have a relative with Asperger's, so I know this. And so you have to find places you can connect. So often they're intellectual or they're places around, you know, animals. It's not going to be the same connection you have with a lot of other people. So finding where can you connect and also for the person who is sort of closed off, does that person want to be there for you? In other words, you can have a conversation, you know, I know you're the kind of person that you're, you know, hesitant to really, you don't need the connection I need and sort of finding out, are they willing to do some work there and open up or not open up for the sake of the partner who needs more? I mean, you have to find that stuff out to know what to do. Yeah. Okay. So what about when things don't go exactly as we planned in the marriage? Is it possible? Possible to rebuild trust and intimacy in your relationship after a betrayal. So I just wrote an article called Surviving Infidelity, which is exactly that. And it's about the process of repair, really. And so first to know, you're not going to have the same relationship. That one just died. You're going to create a new relationship if you're going to get through it. Interesting. Yeah. And so, yes, it is possible. The biggest, two biggest things that have to happen, the biggest thing that has to happen is the betrayer has to actually get emotionally how much they've hurt their partner and they have to be willing to convey over and over how horrible they feel, not for the act, but for the pain they cause their partner. That's the first thing. And they have to be willing to be dragged through the dirt over and over because that often happens. The, the betrayed partner doesn't trust. They have to be willing to make whatever changes they need to make so that the other part, the betrayed partner feels that they can then again trust. And they also, at some point, not initially, have the relationship has to look at together as a couple, why did this happen? Was this an individual issue like an addiction, sex addiction, say? Or is this a couple's issue where the partner who betrayed, who's cheated or strayed or betrayed did so, you know, people do it out of resentment. They do it because they're not getting their own needs met. Was it part of a, a larger dynamic going on in the relationship that's never been explored? So there's a whole, I wrote the whole, it's a whole, you know, these are this step, this step, that there's a whole list of steps that actually you need to be dealt with, but that's the cliff notes version. So what is your best advice about how to build or rebuild trust and intimacy? So again, the party that betrayed has to make the changes that ensures that betrayal will never happen again. And the relationship has to make whatever changes are required to ensure that the betrayal will never happen again. That's really important. I mean, if someone is going to rob you, you're not going to leave your door open again, unless you know that person out there is safe. So that's really, really important, I think. Yeah. So what if there hasn't been a betrayal? What if we're just building trust? What are, are there some really important aspects of building trust? Mm-hmm. So trust comes out of creating safety for each other. So the partners want, so you want to, so let's suppose you have a, you're someone who reacts a lot and it makes your partner feel incredibly unsafe for whatever reason, maybe their history, maybe they had a parent that reacted a lot. You have to learn, you have to learn how to tone it down to get control enough that you can present yourself in a way that you aren't freaking your partner out. So building trust is a really big thing. You have to be reliable. You have to be dependable. You have to make your partner know that you're, it's important for you that they feel safe with you and you have to be consistent with that. So again, it's a process of 
being consistent, reliable, and there for someone. Yeah, totally. All right. So this is my signature question. I ask all my guests, if you had the undivided attention of all the couples in the entire world for just a few minutes, what is the most important thing you could teach them about building a loving partnership? So I would say there's, well, the most important thing things. You have to be willing to pull back the covers and look at what's really going on. If you try to cover stuff over, you're not going to get deep enough into what's going on to build a really trusting, great relationship because all that stuff will come out sideways. You know, the partner whose parent was an alcoholic and then your partner, that partner's partner drinks and they don't know how to talk about it. You have to get into all that stuff to calm it down. Yeah. I think that's a big piece of it. I mean, there's obviously a lot more, but that's, you got to be willing to look at what's going on and look deeply. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So this has been awesome. Jennifer, where can my listeners find you if they want to learn more about you or we can sell or any of the other resources that you offer. Okay. So www.wecansell.com is the informational website has an enormous amount of articles on it up to, you know, like to just to teach people blog.wecansell.com is my blog, which has a ton of articles on it, including surviving infidelity. If they want to go to wecansell.com slash quiz, they can take our relationship quality quiz, which will help them understand where they're strong and where they're, where they connect and where they don't, what's, what's missing. And that will get them a a $10 discount off of level one. So yeah, those are the, I'd say start at wecansell.com, maybe read the blog, maybe take the quiz and see where you get, you know, what pulls you. Sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Another great interview with Jennifer Lair. I'm really excited about the resource in Weekensile that she has created. And so if you're looking for especially trust and betrayal resources, make sure you check out Weekensile.com. I'm really excited to announce a new series that I'll be starting next month in June on women's sexual health. I will be interviewing popular sex therapists, Laura Brotherson and Kristen Jensen, as well as Cami Hurst and urologist and urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. So I hope you will join us. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm also going to be teaching this week my free webinar on the three keys to unlocking complete intimacy. I've worked really hard on this class and I think it will be very valuable. So look for information on how to register for that free class. And I cannot wait to dive deeply into women's sexual health starting next week. And until then, have courage, be kind, and stay on the brighter side.